I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Bupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Liars, scammers, flimflams, fraudulent behavior, swindlers, boondoggles. We've all been swept up in the latest college admission scandals. Emily, have you watched the doc yet? Oh, Wait, we, we can get to I that. Watched. <laughs> have I watched? Fire. Firefests and fake heiresses, which is why it's the perfect time for Emily and I to deep dive into one of our personal favorite pastimes, scams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have watched the college admission doc on Netflix. And then I sent you that WeWork trailer that looks incredible oh. on a tech scam. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, pouring the wine and popping the popcorn already for that one. Oh, my God. And then did you ever read the um, that Anna Delvey book I told you about, my friend Anna, that was written about that, written by the Vanity Fair photo editor who got scammed by the fake heiress, who now will have a, I believe it's an Ava DuVernay or is it uh, Shonda Rhimes? I forget. But her mini series is coming to Netflix. I did not, but I should. I do remember, of course, the day though when Natalie Beach's article about Caroline Calloway hit the internet. And that was big because I believe she got an option too out of that article where she had been well, Caroline Calloway's best friend. Well, that's a perfect segue because I was going to ask you, do you have a favorite scam in the recent past and or have you do you have a scam experience that you want to share? Sure. So uh, a short ones for both. One, Caroline Calloway, uh, because she is from Northern Virginia like me. So I always find it fascinating when people who grew up near me get into this kind of thing. Two. I'm telling you, we need to make the definitive <laughs> Carolyn Calloway documentary. That's all I I'm saying. would love to. I would love to. Um, Watch out, Sundance. <laughs> we coming. Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, personal scam stories, uh, well, I'll be telling one a little bit later when we get into my scam. Uh, so I'm going to keep that on the wraps for now. How about you? 
I think, you know, I get swept up in, in any scam. I think most recently the Aleria Baldwin scam. Like, I oh. love like a harmless, victimless oh. scam yes. that just makes the other person look insane. I mean, and it's so, like what happens when a girl goes on study abroad for six months and then takes it to a steroid driven level. It's, it honestly is an SNL sketch and I couldn't rip my eyes away and I just thought it was the funniest thing. And Alec Baldwin, of course, is just like aggro central. So even his lashing out, I think, is funny. And then he he made some comment recently about how like, oh, Gillian Anderson like switches accents. I'm like, because she's literally British. Like, what the fuck she's are you talking about, dude? Just, yes. <laughs> yeah. Alaria <laughs> is like barely a yoga instructor. Like, let's relax. And like the fact that the ruse went all the way down to the fucking dog, like the dog was named like Diego I'm like you got like you gotta respect the bit like she really committed I you know I we know people that like fully commit to something and then they they start to fade away but like she fully fully committed like the stamina to keep up with it for this long is seriously impressive so that's also why I couldn't stop thinking about it but uh in college and like end of college um an ex-boyfriend of mine he got scammed by a fake Nigerian prince email scam. I don't remember the exact details because it was very difficult to drag it out of him because he was extremely embarrassed that he was scammed (laughs) because he thought he was above it because he's black. But he was not above it, unfortunately for him. He fell for it in such a way that he ended up, the the punchline is is that he ended up sending his $7,000 Nikon camera to some Nigerian prince expecting to get, I don't know, some sort of like money order, Western Union wire transfer or something never materialized. And then he was just out, you know, I mean, between all of the fees and like trying to figure, like trying to recoup. I mean, he was, I mean, it was almost 10 grand and he was like in debt for a long time. And I know that's not, that's not funny. He's fine now. He's a father. He's doing great. But I just remember I couldn't, I couldn't believe I had met somebody who had been genuinely scammed by a Nigerian prince because you read those emails and you're like, this is complete nonsense. Like, and then the, our personal pet peeve of like every letter of every word in the sentence is capitalized. You're like, only a a crazy person would do this. So like, why would I believe this? You know, not a crazy person, but like only a scammer or like a robot or this is like some sort of like AI technology would, would behave this way or write an email this way. I have fortune and there was like for my you. friend. Yeah. And like my friend, my friend, like we've never met. What are you talking about? My friend, come on now, back up. But <laughs> if you think I was going to pick the Nigerian print scam because it recently went through a resurgence we found in our research in 2020 because everybody was home. And so there, you might have noticed an increase in telephone scams also. But even though I have this uh, one degree of separation affiliation with a Nigerian print scam. And my therapist thinks that I could write for John Oliver, but sadly, I do not believe I am John Oliver material. So I did not go the Nigerian print rep because it gets, you know, very technical and I don't know how to make that funny. But this week's episode was actually kind of difficult for me to research. I went down a bunch of rabbit holes before I picked this fake Saudi print story that doesn't technically adhere in our time frame, but it does run through it. At first, I really wanted to talk about Sally Struthers and her Feed the Children scam. But then guess what? Starving children? Not fun. (laughs) Then I thought about (laughs) Kathy Lee Gifford's sweatshop scandal. Except, whoops, that's also a fucking bummer. And as someone who had to have multiple people explain the GameStop stock thing to me like I was a five-year-old child, I still could not fully grasp what the fuck was going on. And I didn't want to babble on about penny stocks without really knowing what the fuck I was saying. And I don't necessarily think that reading numbers out loud is necessarily compelling. Honestly, the Wolf of Wall Street did a great job explaining penny stocks, even though that was the 1990s. So I think you can go there if you want that. 
But you know what doesn't feel bad? A fake prince who scammed Neiman Marcus, fancy hotel, is, and Al McPherson's husband, just to name a few, out of some money. Maybe you've already heard this story because it finally came to an actual real close. This guy has been arrested a lot in 2017, but somehow I had missed it. This is the fake Saudi prince, Jose Moreno, a.k.a. Anthony Gignac. FYI, I pulled a bunch of this from two Vanity Fair articles written by Mark Seal. So Jose Moreno was born in Colombia in 1970 and spent his early life living on the streets with his younger brother. His parents were unknown as he and his brother were one of Colombia's 13,000 quote, quote unquote throwaway children lost in the shuffle of the country's drug war. When he was seven, Jim and Jim Gignac and Nancy Fitzgerald, a middle class couple from Plymouth, Michigan, came to Batoga to pick up Jose and his brother through an adoption arranged through a local orphanage. He was then named Anthony Gignac. He was a bright kid. He could speak English fluently by the second grade. But like all bright kids, he had a penchant for a lie, particularly about his his status. He told his classmates that his mother was so rich she owned a historic hotel and that his biological father was Dom DeLuise, which is my favorite lie. (laughs) Yes. What a perfect celebrity to pick for that. Just like so unsuspecting. (laughs) So not what anyone would normally go for. (laughs) So almost too wild that it could be true. Exactly. Like, it's a perfect, like, wait, what? Well, I guess maybe. His lying switched from harmless, sometimes cute, to having actual consequences when he was in the sixth grade, though. One day, his mom gets a call. Your Mercedes is ready. Turns out Anthony had tricked the local Mercedes dealer into believing he was a Saudi prince whose dad was going to buy him a Mercedes. So an eager salesman showed up at the mall and picked him up and gave him a test drive. When the payment in the prince never materialized to pick up the car, a sheriff's deputy showed up at the Gignac home to find out what the fuck was going on. Things got worse when Tony's parents got divorced. His brother went to go live with his father and he suffered a mental breakdown and spent time in two psychiatric hospitals and a halfway house as a ward of the state. By 17, he ran away. At first, he convinced an Arab family in Michigan that he was a prince and warned them his father's secret service would pay them a visit if they didn't take him in. Around that same time that he was living with them, he had one of his first run-ins with the law when he was caught telling the town that he was the that he was Prince Adnan Khashoggi, a real Saudi, a real Saudi arms dealer and the world's richest man. He used stolen credit cards under that name to rent limos and ride around Detroit. Two months later, Gignac turned up in L.A., where he was convicted of using a credit card with the name Omar Khashoggi to scam another limo company out of eighty six hundred dollars. So his new scam, when the fake credit cards didn't work, he does what every other scammer does. He pivots. He began to tell people, including his family, that in L.A. he had met a prince, a real prince, and had a sexual relationship with him. Now, there is absolutely no evidence of this ever being true other than Saudi Arabia's well-known homophobic laws that could make this story very easy to make up. Gignac claims that he and the prince were found out and he was forced he forced them to support him for the rest of his life or face the consequences a.k.a. outing them. For the record, the Saudis have denied any connection to Gignac. In 2003, they said, quote, he was not a member of the royal family nor associated in any way with the Saudi royal family, but to Gignac's family, it all seemed very real. During his time in L.A., he ended up being dubbed by the L.A. Times the king of fraud in 1991, but he still managed to rack up a $3,500 bill at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, $7,500 in limo charges again, fraudulent purchases of Louis Vuitton luggage on Rodeo Drive. He promised... His wealthy family would pay off his debts, even convince the hotel employees to call him your highness, but he was eventually arrested and sentenced to two years in prison when he was 21. Gignac often pulled off his cons by being extremely loud and aggressive, angrily yelling at anyone who challenged him by asking, do you know who my parents are? Which, as someone who witnessed Scott Bayo saying this to an employee at a pet store, doesn't actually always work. 
Now, after his brief stint in jail, Gignat claimed to have legally changed his name to that of a real Saudi prince, Khalid bin al-Saud. In the Ritz-Carlton, he checked into the Ritz-Carlton in San Francisco with an Amex under the same name, where he once again ran up high tab with no way to pay. After 53 days in jail after that, he fled San Francisco without reporting to his probation officer and went to the Halukilani Hotel in Honolulu for Christmas, where he conned an unsuspecting couple into writing him a check for $8,500 for, quote, a share in an oil field in Saudi Arabia, which did not exist, according to court documents. And convincing another couple, Gilbert and Irene Goats, that he had, quote, reason to fear for his life, end quote, and he duped them into paying his $20,000 resort tab. Well, hello. Oh, my God. I didn't put this in here, but in the article, Mark Seals talks about how he called them to get, you know, confirmation, denial, whatever, a statement on it. And he said, obviously, it's still stung because I, he believes Gilbert hung up on him and said, don't call me anymore. <laughs> so... <laughs> In July of 1993, Prince Khalid, quote unquote, checked into the Walt Disney World Grand Floridian Beach Resort in Orlando, where he ran up more than $14,000 in fraudulent credit card charges. He pled guilty, was given probation and once again vanished. He repeats this ruse a few times until he's picked up in Chicago and extradited back to Florida over charges from a different hotel and sacks. In a testament to his scammer charge on the way to the detention center, Gignac manages to convince the bondsman to stop by an American Express office where he enters in tears, claiming his father, the king, would, quote, be most upset that he lost his credit card. American Express agreed to replace the card if he could correctly answer the security questions. What were your last two purchases? Gignac miraculously was able to verify the last two purchases on the card belonging to the real Prince Khalid, one in California and one in France. And so being fearful of offending Gignac, they gave him an American Express platinum card with $200 million line of credit. It was later what? revealed in court... Yes, it was later revealed in court talks that he was able to answer the question because he bribed somebody at Amex with a couple of Rolexes. So with this new credit card and bondsman in tow, Gignac Im immediately booked two limos and embarked on a shopping spree. The bill came to $22,000. Next, accompanied by the bondsman, Gignac flew home to Michigan. He bought out the entire first class on a Delta flight. He visited a university where he promised to donate $1 million in exchange for a scholarship for a friend. Afterwards, he turned around, went back to Miami, and the bondsmen were completely dazzled. They were like, oh, my God, this guy's a real prince. Like, this must all be an understanding. I can't believe that. But then as they're on their way to the airport, then comes a call from American Express being like, hey, he's not a prince. He is currently committing credit card fraud right now. You need to arrest him. Gignac realizes that his current gig is up and he throws the funniest Hail Mary. In the middle of LaGuardia with the bondsman, he sees a couple airport cops and yells, I'm Prince Khalid bin Al Saud. I've been kidnapped. He has a gun. If there are any of my loyal subjects here, please call the embassy and CNN. In 1994, Gignac did his own college admission scam. He calls, he calls Syracuse and tells them that he's interested in donating $45 million to the school. But could the university be a doll and wire a portion of the taxes for the donation, $16,000, to his account in East Lansing, Michigan? Syracuse did, in fact, wire the money. The bank account had been opened by Gignat's younger brother, who he had recently reunited with. And now they both get to spend some quality time together in jail as both men were convicted. And the fake prince was sentenced to 46 months for wire fraud. An additional 37 months were added to his sentence when he lit his cell on fire and covered the floor with shampoo, hoping to trip the guards and make an escape. That is some like Benny Hill level bullshit. Like you're yes. going to like home alone kind of stuff. Like, OK, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just cover this floor. I'm going to set some shit on fire and then I'm just going to walk out of prison 
and the delusion. It's going to work. Joe Pesci's the security guard. Daniel Stern's the other. Like, of course. In a section I've called the early 2000s were a dark time for us all. Like a lot of people in the early 2000s, Gignac returned to his mother's home in Michigan after he was released. His mom had recently remarried, and he decided to hire his new stepsister as his, quote, personal assistant. He continued the lie, or maybe he began to believe it by now, that his lifestyle was being maintained by his royal boo, even going so far as leaving Western Union receipts from Saudi Arabia for $10,000 around for his his stepsister assistant to find. In between scamming a local Atlanta doctor out of $5,000 by pretending to want to buy the Atlanta Falcons, which (laughs) if I was able to speak to him, I would need to get more details about that. He went back to Troy, Michigan, where he would later be arrested again for impersonating a diplomat. On January 3rd, 2003, after Gignac had charged over $11,000 to to Sachs under his, quote, family account, which actually belonged to the real Saudi princess, Fadwa al-Saud, and over $17,000 at Neiman Marcus to the real Prince Khalid and threatened multiple employees of not respecting his royalty, he was arrested outside the mall and heard yelling, you cannot do this, you must call the embassy. The real Prince Khalid was forced to fax a notarized letter to, Le- to Neiman Marcus stating upon oath that he, do- he did not know Gignac and had not authorized him to charge to his account. While in jail awaiting trial, Gignac tried again, mailing a letter to Citibank he demanded... <laughs> $3.9 million from the real prince's trust to be wired to him. <laughs> On October 12th of 2006, he pleaded guilty to attempted bank fraud and impersonating a foreign diplomat. He was sentenced to 77 months in federal prison. So we're just going to speed through to the present day. In 2015, he teamed up with a man who'd take his fraudulent scheme up a notch. Carl Williamson was a 51-year-old British asset manager who was working out of his home in a small town in North Carolina. He was the perfect mark. He had no police record, experience in law and finance, a British accent that sounded positively royal, and a vast network of international connections. Before long, 26 investors were wiring a total of $7.9 million through various shell companies uh, through Martin William International. In return, they thought they were getting a friends and family pre-offering for a pending IPO for Aramco, a Saudi oil company. By enlisting the aid of investment bankers in a couple of different countries, Gignac had graduated from a mere grift to what what experts call white-collar fraud. It was, quote, a very complex and professional crime that would have fooled most people, even successful businessmen. Just as an FYI, the year that he was offering this friends and family oil stock deal like a fucking Macy's coupon, Aramco ended up getting shelved. They went public in December of 2019 and surpassed the $2 trillion mark on the second day of trading. But as all things in 2020, they dipped, but we don't need to talk about that. So much like Super Mario, when you get too greedy, you die. And with an incentive, with an inflated sense of self, Gignac entered into negotiations with Elle McPherson's ex-husband, Jeff Stofler, to buy 30% of the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami for $440 million, of which he had zero. This is the where and when it all finally goes down for him. When Gignac's claims stop adding up, apparently sometime around him ordering prosciutto, ham, which is not allowed in Muslim religion, Stofler's people started to dig into his claims of having diplomatic clearance. He didn't. He only bought the fake license plate off of eBay and not owning the entire building that he lived in on Fisher's Island, a very tony part of Miami. He merely was renting one of the cheaper condos. As one agent assigned to his case said, which is the same thing that Tracy Jordan said to Liz Lemon, you know how I know you're poor? Your teeth. So in the end, Gignac initially initially pleaded 
uh, guilty to both schemes, only to reverse himself at a hearing in July where his attorney successfully argued for him to have a trial by jury. I don't know why you would want to do that. In a case... In a case of don't hate the player, hate the game, Gignac turned his his ethnicity into an asset by capitalizing on the fact that white Americans are ignorant and can't tell or be bothered to tell the difference between someone who is Hispanic and someone who is Arab, especially if they look rich, which he always was covered in diamonds, designer labels, driving fancy cars. One thing Gignac completely understood about the American experience for sure was the universal appeal of royalty, and that is the fake Saudi prince. So this rings very clearly like uh, there. the Saudi prince is not the only person to have done something like this, obviously. Uh, there was one very similar one in my uh, – where I grew up in the late 1990s, where a guy posed as uh, Steven Spielberg's nephew. His name oh. was Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, because like, who would have thought that's a fake name? Uh, he he enrolled at my rival high school. So it was a Catholic high school called Paul VI High School in Fairfax, Virginia. And it turns out this guy who claimed to be 17 years old was in fact like a 28-year-old Iranian immigrant who uh, was just kind of posing as the 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 nephew of Steven Spielberg and uh was after not showing up for several weeks they actually called Dreamworks the school called Dreamworks to talk to Steven Spielberg <laughs> and that is when they figured out that he was in fact not Steven Spielberg's nephew and was later found and arrested that's like uh, an unsexy, never been kissed. <laughs> very, very much. I do think one day if someone chose to make a documentary out of it, I'd watch probably. <laughs> See, I looked into that one too. And it, I mean, it, it's exactly as you present. There's not really like a ton of new or exciting information. Yeah, it's um, it was funny, though, because <laughs> when I was in high school, this particular high school had a lot of scandals happening. And so this was the one that like, that was like the incident at their high school on top of everything else. Like it was just, you couldn't have made this up. Like, but it was, I mean, like (laughs) it actually was. Um, But yeah, it was fascinating. I remember it was still when it happened because I was like 11 or 12. Uh, Well, much like Stefan would say, my scam has everything. Career scam artist, Dion Warwick, fake patois, infomercials, and Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Psychic scams were all over the place in the 90s with the rise of 1-900 numbers. The premise was simple. You would call the number on the screen, and for the low price of $3.99 a minute, a psychic would tell you everything you needed to know about your life and what the future had in store for you. For claiming to be able to see in the future, however, these psychics were not able to foresee the lawsuits, bankruptcies, and other woes that they would encounter down the line. These psychic networks were able to do a lot of business thanks to the infomercial boom of the late 1980s and early 90s. In 1984, the Reagan administration signed the Cable Communications Policy Act of 1984. With that, the FCC eliminated regulations that had been established in the 50s and 60s to govern commercial content of television. By 1994, an estimated 90% of all stations had or were airing infomercials. Hashtag thanks Reagan. Since there was deregulation around how many commercial cable networks could air, and cable networks needed lots of programming to fill hours since we're talking pre-prestige TV times, cable networks were happy and willing to have plenty of infomercials to fill the time and make money off of. During the 90s and early 2000s, there were two incredibly prominent psychic networks that you would probably saw infomercials for on TV. 
The Psychic Friends Network, a.k.a. the one that had infomercials featuring the queen of Twitter, Dionne Warwick, and the Psychic Readers Network, a.k.a. the one that had infomercials featuring Miss Cleo. First, we'll go into Psychic Friends Network since that's the one that dominated the first half of the 90s and was the OG in the psychic infomercial space. Psychic Friends Network, or PFN, was founded in 1991 and operated under a parent company called Information Communications, which was based out of Baltimore, Maryland. The company was founded by Michael Warren Lasky and was a direct response marketer whose other infomercials included Making Love Work and a phishing device called the Helicopter Lure. According to this New York Times article about PFN from 1995, Mr. Lasky founded Information in 1990 and took a chance on the psychic business with $500,000 of his own money. Lasky, also known as Mike Warren, classic scammer uh, characteristic, by the way, multiple aliases. Lasky was known for being a sports handicapper, specifically for horse racing. He was this career scammer using his handicapping skills to put together newsletters. According to the same New York Times article, while many of those business endeavors did well, several were accused of deceptive advertising. In Maryland, there were complaints going back to the 70s that the sports newsletter that he released called Mike Warren Sports engaged in, quote, unfair and deceptive trade practices concerning its refund policy. In fact, in this, 19, in this 1995 article, uh, there is a woman who is a consumer affairs supervisor in the Maryland Attorney General's office said that there had been 32 complaints in the office since 1988 many of them asking for refunds. Cut to phone psychics who had been around for years, usually advertising on the back of magazines or personal ads in newspapers. But what separated the Psychic Friends Network over others is that they used infomercials to advertise their services and used call distributing systems, which meant that if you liked a psychic you had spoken to in the past, you could build relationships with those psychics and continue to call them. The other big differentiator was that psychics were available to talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was a fairly cheap business to operate as the psychics all basically worked from their homes and just needed landlines and took a cut of commission from the $3.99 a minute. PFN enlisted Dionne Warwick to co-host a talk show style infomercial with famed psychic Linda Georgian. The two co-hosted these infomercials for seven years throughout the entire run of the Psychic Friends Network's first iteration. And to this day, those are the most successful infomercials that have ever aired. Georgian had gotten her start in nutrition and later got into psychic business and published several books, including Your Guardian Angels, Use the Power of Angelic Messengers to Enrich and Empower Your Life, which like <laughs> wild, I mean, all these psychic books that I came across as I was doing this research all had like a 10 word minimum title. It's very Marianne Williamson. Oh, yes, 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 it is. Because it's always like... Long words like your journey into the light, colon, 17 ways that you can unlock your mystical powers that have always belonged to you and reside deep down within you. You're like, you could have said this in a lot less. I just, if you would like a note, that's my only if, one. For, for you and your ghostwriter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Deanne Warwick decided to get on board with the PFN because she's actually a big fan of psychics and had been seeing them for many years. In fact, it was because of the advice of her astrologer friend, Linda Goodman, not related to Linda Georgian, that Warwick added an E to her last name in the early 1970s because Goodwin, Goodman claimed that the extra letter would give her, quote, positive energy and great success. Goodman... <laughs> is notable. Okay. She authored the first astrology book to make it to the New York Times bestseller list. That book was titled Linda Goodman's Sun Signs, published in 1968. Unfortunately for Warwick with an E, that meant that after having a monumental decade of hits in the 60s, with 22 top 40s in eight years, her hits suddenly stopped and she only had one top 40 hit with the modified name, 
Eventually, Warwick would remove the extra E when she moved from Warner Brothers to Arista in 1979, and the hits resumed. Anyway, back to PFN. During these infomercials, you'd listen to Warwick and Georgian talk for 28 minutes and 30 seconds, which is a lot of time for infomercials, I found out. It's going to be that or 58 minutes and 30 seconds. And then you'd see the 900 number at the bottom of the screen and the $3.99 a minute. In a Slate article from 1998, when PFN filed for bankruptcy, more on that later, writer James Sorecki states that between 1993 and 1994, the infomercials aired more than 12,000 times. And at one point, Information, the parent company, was paying half a million dollars a week to buy airtime on cable stations. At its peak, Psychic Friends was bringing in as much as $125 million a year because of those infomercials, and the company once employed about 2,000 psychics during their heyday. They became so wildly popular that they started even hosting some of these infomercials as live events or conferences, such as one of the <laughs> infomercials I watched from 1990. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Six that took place at the first ever Psychic Friends Fair at the Mall of America in Minneapolis. Wild Times, it also featured famed TV announcer Rod Roddy as co-host, which you may remember him as the announcer on The Price is Right, who would say, Margot Poupard, come on down. <laughs> Ultimately, though, it was diminishing returns, a saturation of the infomercial market, and poor decision-making that led it to its demise. There had been a number of lawsuits the company had gone through because some viewers claimed that while they called the psychic line, they were put on hold and listened to record to recorded sales pitches that were, you know, at $3.99 a minute and for a variety of products and services not related to the Psychic Friends Network. Additionally, insiders such as famed mentalist Mark Edward, who once worked the overnight ship at the Psychic Friends Network, he actually debunked a lot of the industry secrets in his book, Psychic Blues, that was published in 2012. He described the organization as, quote, a psychic sweatshop and revealed that he gained the confidence of clients while working as a phone psychic because he could swindle people into trusting him just by using kind of people skills and intuition. In an interview, he told ABC News that he caught he was taught techniques to keep his conversation super vague, entice the caller with the flattery. Quote, the goal was to make the callers feel good about themselves and keep them talking. And that he actually gave a two and a half hour reading one time that the caller ended up having to pay more than $600 for. And this happened all the time, by the way, like people would get swindled into spending lots of money on these uh, psychic phone lines. Eventually, in 1998, the information communications company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, claiming it had $26 million in liabilities and $1.2 million in assets. 
In 2001, the bankruptcy trustees for the Psychic Friends Network sued MCI WorldCom Network for mismanagement of billing and collections and won a judgment of $7.5 million. In 2004, MCI would eventually pay $4.1 million. Up to today, Psychic Friends Network would later come back as a publicly traded online business in 2012 that would offer online psychics and had a web platform full of social media, e-alerts, and instant messaging. In 2014, like any good scammer company, they changed their name to the peer-to-peer network to, quote, reflect its expanded new corporate direction into all facets of the booming peer-to-peer industry, or whatever that means. They're now based in Nevada, as many good scams are. So that is the Psychic Friends Network, and that gets us to about like 1998-ish. Um, cut to the Psychic Readers Network, which really should just be, you know, the Miss Cleo Network. You may remember Miss Cleo, a woman with a Caribbean accent speaking all sorts of truth to callers, telling you to call me now for a free tarot reading with a tagline on the screen that said, the cards don't lie. By the way, I'm not going to attempt patois throughout this episode because my name isn't Chet Hanks, so you can just... <laughs> Kiss Thank that. you. I mean, idea. I think you're you're making the right choice by not keeping it up. You just need to do it the one time. Establish the accent. If you, true heads know, we don't need yeah. more than what you're giving. And also, we applaud you for not going full Chet Hanks as having a patois accent. If you are white, will now be referred to henceforth. Exactly. Miss Cleo was actually an American actress by the name of Uray Del Harris, who turned out was a bit of a career scammer at times, using the additional aliases, rape, and by the way, I pronounce her name Uray, um, it could be Yori, I did not confirm this, um, Ray Paris, Uray Cleo Millie, Uray Del Harris, Uray Paris, Ray Del Harris, Cleo Millie Paris Uray, and then Cleo Millie Harris. She went through many names throughout her career. She was born in L.A. in 1962 to a Caribbean family and in 1996 began operating a theater production company with her partner in Seattle. The first play was an autobiographical one titled For Women Only, and that's what she, where she used the name Re Paris. There was a character in the play who was a Jamaican woman by the name of Cleo and would later serve as inspiration for the shaman character she'd portray in the commercials. This play was one of three she'd put on as part of uh, productions in Seattle. Her last one was done in part with the Langston Hughes Nonprofit Advisory Council, who provided her with budget to which to pay the cast and crew of her place. According to the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, she fled town and never paid most of these people. David Takami, then a spokesperson for the Seattle Parks and Rec Department, of which Langston Hughes is a part of, said that she made separate arrangements with her performers and cast and crew and apparently did not pay any of them. She also inappropriately charged various supplies and services to the advisory council. Another person who was interviewed said that apparently she told the cast and crew that she had bone cancer and that the cost from her medical bills would prevent her from paying the cast and crew up front. But she would write each actor and crew member a letter telling them what they owed or what she owed them at that time. Cut to the Florida-based, of course, Psychic Readers Network, which was owned by Access Resource Services. When they hired Uray Del Harris in 1997, where she would work through 2002. Harris, according to an interview she did with Vice, was no stranger to being clairvoyant and claimed that she, quote, came from a family of spooky people and that she came from a family of Obeya, which is another word for voodoo. Harris is just was just one of the many other psychics who worked for the Psychic Readers Network, but later she would go on to be the face of it. For the first 30-minute infomercial she did, she made $1,750 for the two and a half days on set. In the documentary hotline that she appears in, 
She says that the powers that be at the Psychic Readers Network decided they wanted Harris to go with this island shaman personality that came from a long line of Jamaican shamans. The website even said in her bio that she was from Trelawney, Jamaica. In the commercials, she would answer callers' deepest questions, such as who the father of their baby was, according to Miss Cleo. It was the one who cheated on you, and he also had a weird chin, but you already knew who the father was because your baby looks exactly like him. The psychics working on the line, according to Harris, were making somewhere from 12 cents a minute to 24 cents, so like peanuts. She made 24 cents a minute. You got calls based on a priority that was determined by how long you would keep people on the line. Harris stated that the minimum time to get on the priority list was to average about 18 minutes or more a call. The psychics who worked as subcontractors for the Psychic Readers Network, so if things went down, they could assume little to no liability, were given a script to follow and a simulated computer program to do the tarot reading. Bennett Madison wrote this amazing essay for the New York Times in 2016 called I Was a Psychic for Miss Cleo, which I highly recommend everyone reads where he talked about some of the identities he assumed while working as a psychic when he was just trying to make rent as a college student living in New York the summer of 2001. He answered an ad in the Village Voice for a, quote, phone actor, called the number where he interviewed with some guy in Florida, and then got the job. His most popular one was Cassandra, a husky-voiced Southern belle who called everyone honey child, (laughs) which you can just imagine would be like one of the many people you'd come across if you were to call this number. In addition to the infomercials, there was an email marketing campaign tactic used, then a relatively new thing. People would receive emails saying, Miss Cleo has been authorized to issue you a special tarot reading. It is vital that you call immediately. Roughly 6 million calls came into Miss Cleo over a three-year period with 1 billion in telephone charges assessed. The Psychic Readers Network was amassing an estimated $400 million a year during their peak. While all psychic networks had their share of troubles with the government, the Psychic Readers Network got into a whole lot more trouble than psychic friends because they were making a lot of false promises and using illegal tactics. In 2002, the Federal Trade Commission filed a complaint against the Psychic Readers Network because viewers were being told they were getting a free reading and then charging them. Of the $1 billion earned through the hotline, they had still not collected $500 million due to delinquent payments or stubborn customers who refused to pay. And here's where the fine print comes in. You might remember on the screen when you'd watch Miss Cleo, there'd be a whole lot of fine print right below the phone number that was very illegible on a non-L, like, HD screen. The number on the screen was, in fact, a toll-free 1-800 number, but then the operator would transfer you to a 1-900 number. Then you were told the first three minutes were free, and then they charged $4.99 a minute. But according to a BuzzFeed article, The Legend of Miss Cleo, What would then happen was that the first five minutes were spent giving personal information and or staying on hold, which meant the psychic readings never actually happened while on the free time. On average, customers were being charged $60 a call. And this is where my uh, personal scam story comes up. I called Miss Cleo as a kid and got into a lot of trouble because of said kind of $60 charge on the phone bill. Um, And they do, in fact, uh, keep you on hold for a few minutes to make sure you pay more so that if there was ever a first free minute or two, you were guaranteed to go past that. My parents were not thrilled about this, as you can imagine. Did you get through to a psychic? Um, I believe I did for about two seconds. And then my dad called me and I was like, bye. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was like, what did the psychic tell you? What did you, what was $60 at Psychic Friends Network? What does that get you? Apparently nothing. 
<laughs> Absolutely nothing. According to a Mental Floss article, when people would dispute their phone charges, Psychic Readers Network and Access Resource Services, the company that owned them, were alleged to have referred accounts to collection agencies. So even if a telephone carrier like AT&T canceled the charges, customers would still find themselves subject to harassment over unpaid debt. Um, They would also bully people into paying charges that they had no obligation towards paying. And so began the class action suits started by people who were being charged fraudulently for calls that they had never made. The lawsuit started in 1999 in North Carolina, and then the subsequent suits would get filed in Arkansas, Florida, Illinois, Kansas, Missouri, New York, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Indiana. The charges brought up by these states would be around the false advertising for free readings, the false billing for calls people weren't making, and the fraud around Miss Cleo's identity in some cases. Because Harris was named in the lawsuit in Florida, they would later release a copy of Harris's birth certificate showing that she had in fact been born in Los Angeles, which is when people found out about her real life and the Seattle place scam from earlier. The FTC got involved and shut down the operation after receiving nearly 3,000 complaints from consumers. They demanded the Psychic Readers Network cancel $500 million of the $1 billion payments and also fined the company $5 million. They charged the company's owners and Harris's promoters, Stephen Fetter and Peter Stoltz, with deceptive advertising, billing, and collection practices. And I just have to take a moment to read the press release, just a tidbit of the FTC press release. J. Howard Beals III, then director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection at the FTC, stated, quote, you don't need a crystal ball to know the FTC will continue to stop unfair and deceptive trade practices. <laughs> and that's how you can be snazzy as a lawyer. Um <laughs> Harris left the operation with zero charges and would remain mostly out of the spotlight, apart from an appearance here and there. She had a small cameo in Grand Theft Auto Vice City, although she couldn't use the Miss Cleo name and instead went with Auntie Poulet. Okay. (laughs) In early 2005, Harris was reportedly appearing on television as Miss Cleo in used car dealership commercials in Florida. She'd also later come out publicly as a lesbian in the magazine The Advocate in 2006 and sat down I for some I remember that. Yep, yep. Sat down for some interviews over the years including one in 2009 for the Spokesman Review where she stated that she still did readings in Florida for $75 to $250 and referred to herself as more of a voodoo priestess more than a psychic. She would later appear as a subject in the documentary Hotline which followed around several individuals who had worked for different types of hotlines. And was mostly about how humans felt more comfortable talking to strangers on hotlines than people in real life. Harris even had a podcast titled Conversations with Cleo. In these clips, whenever I saw any kind of video interviews with her or uh, was reading any of these interviews, she always spoke with the patois, which in the Vice interview, they kind of asked her about that. And she just explained that she was it was something that came with old age. So it's kind of interesting. She did away with some of the Miss Cleo uh, in her life, especially around the Psychic Readers Network, but very much kind of kept some of that identity along the way, which was very interesting to me. She also appeared in a 2014 Cinnamon Toast Crunch commercial. And I realized that's a little triggering, topical, right? Topical. Yes. <laughs> I, there's a lot of topical stuff as um, our Chet Hanks did, in fact, call this summer, I believe, White Boy Summer, which... We, please do not... Yeah. Me- stop mentioning him on here. I will not mention him anymore. Um, if you want your Chet Hanks news, you got to go to Google or Twitter. We're not doing this here. I no. I already see too much of them, which is like once every three months. And that's a lot. That's a lot. It shouldn't be like a quarterly wine shipment. That Those are fun. Chet Hanks is not. Is not. Yeah, exactly. 
I did not sign up for that one. The Chet Hanks. The wine, sure, yes, of course, but not the Chet. Psychic Readers Network took legal action after that Cinnamon Toast Crunch commercial, claiming that the Miss Cleo character was their intellectual property and that Harris's use was a trademark and copyright violation. General Mills eventually pulled the ads. Harris, unfortunately, developed colon cancer, which spread, and um, she eventually passed away following a long illness on July 26, 2016, at age 53. A year later, yeah... A year later, Psychic Readers Network would go after Rockstar Games, which had produced Grand Theft Auto 15 years after the game's original release of Vice City, where she appeared as Auntie Poulet. Ridiculous. That that is the story of uh, the Psychic Infomercial Networks. I mean, do you think that the Psychic Networks, or at least like the 900 numbers now that I see, because I rarely see like the fun Psychic ones. It's always like the call up hot young singles in your area. It's always like hot people like half playing pool being like, call me. I'm like, that's not who's on the other line. We've already done this. Who is still calling these hotline numbers? Apparently someone. And one of the things that was kind of interesting when I was doing my research is someone in one of the articles I read uh, speculated that... The psychic networks kind of came out at the right time because it was right yeah. during the Gulf War. There was a lot of uncertainty in the world. Like people were really worried about what was to come. And they kind of just capitalized on people's emotions at the time who were pretty vulnerable. Well, I think psychics and that sort of thing has now just moved to where everything is, which is just like on the internet. You can get an Instagram psychic to tell you whatever you want. I mean, it's a little bit harder to get the money out of you, I suppose. But I guess once they get your credit card, it's kind of all over. So yeah, it's just kind of moved around instead of somebody calling on a landline, you know, just get like a DM from somebody being like, oh, namaste. I had like a premonition. Give me $40. (laughs) Uh, This has been a fun road down uh, scammer lane. Are there any others that came up during your research that our honorable mentions. Well, there was the Scientology pe- like penny stock adjacent scam. The guy who had made money um, with Earthlink in like the nineties. He mm. was a Scientologist. He was really close to. L- well, he came up with like L. Ron Hubbard or whatever. Like was like a first pr- person to like be taking classes from him or something to that effect. Because um, I'm I don't have the notes in front of me, obviously. But anyway, so he eventually scammed like several million dollars out of like the more wealthy people who come to Scientology, like Giovanni Rubisi, and I believe like a couple of other people like kind of, you know, doing the same thing that the fake Saudi prince was just like, oh, you know, give me money and I will invest it in the stock that I have previous knowledge of or whatever. And anyway, it was a short lived scam. And again, it was like sort of like a a penny stock sort of situation where I was like, I don't really un- I understand, but don't understand the semantics. And also all of the information on it was like pretty short. It's like, yeah, he did the scam for a couple of years. It worked. And then he got caught by like the SEC or something. Yeah, I kind of remember that one. And it is interesting how many uh, kind of wealthy people get swindled into this kind of stuff. Like it is very, very interesting to me. I mean, I think for me, the the scam that I I was kind of thinking about 
well, it's not so much a scam as it was a scam towards one, you know, certain groups of people, uh, which is related to a couple of Hulu documentaries and uh, and HBO, um, is uh, the one around um, Gypsy Rose and uh, her mother, Dee Dee, the Munchausen's by oh, proxy. Oh, right. The, the fake Make-A-Wish. But that was also, I mean, it's really sad. And it's yeah, like really it dark. Is. This poor kid was, com- I mean, manipulated for forever. Yeah. And, and also into thinking that she had, I mean, it also ends pretty tragically um but like manipulated into thinking that she had all of these problems her whole life and then just suddenly discover that she's fine i mean that's crazy yeah i don't know what i would do with that i I mean obviously i feel like in in so many ways sadly like her snapping makes tons of sense but really just the and and it's kind of hard to Especially like with the Saudi prince, there was like a point where like it kind of seems like he fully sort of like Alaria fully bought into this bit, except, you know, instead of scamming an actor into marrying you because you find out that they like span like women of Spanish descent or whatever. This guy is scamming, you know, Neiman Marcus or whatever, which, you know, you could trace it back to him for why Neiman Marcus and Sachs have all gone under since. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it's hard for me to feel bad for a big corporation. It's hard for me to feel bad for a billionaire developer who almost got scammed. Like he barely dodged it. But I think with the Didi and Gypsy Rose, I think she fully believed it because she had a mental illness. Yeah. And then as a kid, you don't know any better. And so it's just I think some of these scams are fascinating to me personally, but are kind of harder to talk about because it's you don't want to make fun of that. There's not there's no way to punch that up at all. And that's like with the Theranos, what happened at Theranos, for example, while I well, that's love also kind seeing, of funny. It is funny in the sense of like these old conservative white men got super conned into going into But this. she was also sort of, I mean, like, what was that? Sh- like, what are you doing? Like the what whole you, thing, no. like from the hair yes. to just sort of like her her general vibe, yes. like especially if you read Bad Blood, like she just seemed, mm-hmm. I mean, she's a real character, um, a sort character. of like Billy McFly. Like Billy McFarland, you're just like, you are fascinating because I can't tell if you know that it's bullshit or if you believe it so much because you have to sell the bullshit. All we know is that you guys have like an inherent, there's like an inherent scammer charm that sort of like serial killers, sorry you guys, to lump you guys together. You're like fascinated at how they're able to pull it off because like a bad marketing campaign, you're like this, there were so many ways and so many times where it was really close to like, how did it not get caught here? And how did it not get caught before it was a bigger problem or it got to this sort of problem? Like even the Saudi prince, like he was arrested a lot of times and went to jail multiple times, but every single time he was able to just, that's like cancel culture is real. He was like able to disappear, reappear, pretend to be a totally different person or even the same person. And people still bought it. Like nobody, rich people are kind of easy to swindle because in some ways they believe if you are able to get at them or to them, oh, well, you know, you must be who you say you are. And especially like um, people who have been famous for a really, really long time. I think you, it's easy to forget that people are scammers, you know, because it doesn't happen to people like you. It happens to other people, you know? 100%. And I think there is a component. I think we've talked about this before, maybe personally. I don't think on the show. It's like, you know, in that um, Going Clear documentary about Scientology and in the book too, they talk a lot about how people continue to get, you know, swindled into these cons. And it's partially, I think people are so embarrassed to admit that they've invested this much time and money into a scam Mm -hmm. 
that it gets mm-hmm. to the point where there may be a point personally where they do not believe the lie anymore, but they are so in deep at this point that they think that by paying and continuing to invest, they can buy their way out of the shame that will come at one point. It came up a couple of times um, in the Vanity Fair pieces that I was reading that various attorneys that he, that the fake prince had managed to retain them how embarrassed they felt that they were able to be scammed because they're like i'm a fucking lawyer like i deal with the shit day in and day out i can spot a fake a mile away and they couldn't they all just got taken for a fucking ride and one dude was like more embarrassed one was like more pissed like i fucking can't believe it like i would never let that happen to me ever again so yeah i think that is definitely right like people are just embarrassed to admit that it happens just sort of like people that get caught up like in ponzi schemes well not ponzi schemes sorry that i just misspoke like in multi-level marketing they don't even realize that it's happening to them or they don't actually believe that it is that because they feel like no if so and so says it's true then it must be true which is why it's so powerful they recruit you on facebook they're supposed to be your friend it's very easy to fall into the trap and and it's also kind of goes along the line like you said like scientology like that cult mentality it it for better or worse, like you just want to believe that something's true because if it's not true, then it means like you're an idiot or you're bad or whatever. But, you know, it's not your fault for being a nice person or being, I don't know, receptive to someone who wants to deceive you. (laughs) That's their whole intention. But I did find it most interesting that, yeah, one of the federal agents said like who had had a lot of experience dealing with Saudi princes or um, royal families that the number one giveaway for this guy was that he had crooked teeth and he's like the all of the families get like plastic surgery and their teeth are perfect and they're super white and like they want they look like celebrities and this guy had like wanted to look like a celebrity but you could tell it was fake and so i think but that comes from years of experience of having that this that this particular federal agent had that attorneys and Saxeth avenue and like i mean retail employees are like the easiest people to yell out like the customer's always right so yeah no completely They went after everyone, 100%. No, and I, you know what this also made me think of as you're talking about that fake narrative he constructed, made me think of like um, Andrew Kananen. uh, Oh, yeah. Who who, like, you've seen the Gianni Versace, uh, um, Ryan Murphy doc, or not doc. Yeah, haven't I told you? I haven't told this story on the, I thought I told the story on the podcast that my uncle, he stole my uncle's identity when he was like up here. And so yes. when when he had that short stint in San Francisco, and so when he got pulled over at some point in Miami when he was trying to leave or wherever he ended up getting arrested, he used my uncle's name. So, yeah, no, I am aware of him and his schemes. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's wild. It, you buy into the, if you can buy into the lie, it like it works. I just and, and it's it's amazing when you really start to break down all these stories, how many parallels there are, and just like other people, like I just finished watching. <laughs> The Lance Armstrong two-part ESPN 30 for 30 yesterday. And Mm -hmm. all of that is just scam, 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 scam. And it worked because he was a bully. So he bullied people into, you know, and there was an inspirational part because he really was a cancer survivor. That part was true. And he really did beat some crazy odds to survive. So you don't want to question a cancer survivor who keeps winning the Tour de France because so many people bought into this narrative of him being this hero who had, you know, defied the odds to win one of the greatest athletic feats. Like it was meant for, you know, it just checked every single check mark and like the country's need for patriotism and a don't want to bring it up again, but here we are post 9-11 world. Like it just, it, it, it checked every single box and it's amazing. 
because he still buys into it to an extent. He admits that yeah. he's an asshole and he did the wrong thing. But there is so many parts of it in that interview where you're just like, oh, you still believe yourself to an extent. I also you bring up a good point with the Lance Armstrong stuff like that blood doping was a scandal and a scam. And that was also sort of the part that was the line that was difficult to differentiate when trying to pick something for this episode mm-hmm. was like, OK, well, this was a scandal, but this was also a scam. And I just felt like sometimes the the line was blurred because there were things that I thought were perhaps like a bigger scandal or had more of the tropes that you expect from a typical scam. But it turns out that actual scams are maybe a little dull because they're like money schemes. And that's not interesting to us. You know, it's interesting to us, like big characters who pull off confidence schemes like this and convince people to give them things by yelling at them. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's like almost the perfect cover in a lot of ways is you would think, you know, me or you and me, like regular people, if we were going to attempt a scam, we wouldn't want to try to draw a ton of attention to ourselves by yelling at everyone in sight. But that's, you know, that is the reverse logic that you kind of have to take on, I suppose, or unconventional logic that you have to take on when you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go and get mine and be a fucking scammer. 100%. Well, unless you have anything else to add, I think we're going to wrap it up for the week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Old Millennials. And if you like this episode and you haven't listened to anything else, we suggest taking a scroll through our feed. We've got a lot of great stuff. And if you like everything that you've heard and going to and you want to keep listening to us, please subscribe to us. And if you can, rate us and review us. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.